right, here we go. Good afternoon, everybody. This is John Barrows, Make It Happen Mondays. Hopefully you're all having a fantastic Monday here. Um, and your weekend was good. I had a pretty good weekend here. Uh, my daughter, I don't know if you saw my Instagram post, but my daughter finally learned how to ride her bike, which was a nice little momentous uh, occasion for a father-daughter type of thing, which was fun. And uh, yeah, the weather here in Boston was fantastic, but uh, unfortunately, the Boston teams didn't do too well this weekend. The Bruins lost and the Celtics lost, so I'm a little bit annoyed about that. But anyways, um, I was supposed to have a guest on today, but I kind of fucked up the schedule. Um, guests thought they were supposed to be on last week, and uh, I think they were supposed to be on this week. So anyways, we were going to reschedule that one. So pulling a little bit of an audible today. With that, uh, I'm going to talk about something. I, I did a... Um, uh, post a little while ago on my my biggest learning lesson in my career uh, from a business standpoint. And then I wrote a long format blog post on a little while ago called The Downside of an Acquisition. And so I figured because it was super popular, got a lot of people talking and a lot of people asking me questions and being given really good feedback on it. Um, I figured I'd, I'd use this as an opportunity to kind of go through that and, and put it on the podcast. So just like everything, some people like to listen to it. Some people like to read it. I'll also put the link to uh, the article here in uh, the Facebook post. Uh, and you can also go find it if you're on the podcast, listening to it later. But the, the whole premise here is, and, and the background on this one is this, you know, I, um, when I was about... You know, I started my career in sales just kind of like everybody else fell into it. I got my degree in marketing and then went through and got DeWalt and Black & Decker and then Xerox. And then at around 25 years old, my good friend, Chris Merrill, uh, who I still work with today, he started a company called Thrive Networks. And this company was outsourced IT services to the SMB market. And we were self-funded, right? So I jumped on board with him to help run sales and marketing. I think I was the fifth person on board ultimately. And, um, you know, we were 25, so no idea what we were doing. And then what happened was we scaled that company. We become, we were one of the fastest growing companies here in Massachusetts for a few years in a row. And then all of a sudden we started getting some interest from, uh, acquisitions, right? So the IT space, we did outsourced IT services again to the SMB market and, you know, IT started to become an acquisition model for, you know, to consolidate all. So we started getting some calls and we then got somebody to help us, you know, field all those calls. And eventually my CEO, uh, this uh, good friend of mine, Jim Lippy, he ended up going to a networking event and bumping into a guy from Staples and they started talking about a business partnership. And then from there it turned into, Hey, why don't you just buy us? Right. And so Staples was trying to get into the IT services world and um, I probably actually shouldn't be saying the names, but fuck it. Uh, so anyways, they were trying to get into the IT services world where because they knew like paper and pens and that type of stuff was, was really on its way down. And they didn't really have a lot of credibility in the IT space at the time. This was, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And um, so they figured, hey, let's let's buy a company to help us get into that IT services space so that we can start to evolve in that direction. And it made all the sense in the world if you kind of thought about it from a big picture standpoint, because we were a really good outsourced IT services company with a scalable business model, but we were self-funded, didn't have a lot of money, so scale was an issue for us. Whereas Staples had all these target accounts for us. I mean, their exact target client was ours. Uh, their ICP was pretty much spot on point with, with ours, and but they didn't have any outsourced IT, right? So the idea is we're going to put our, uh, our, our 
services on their customers and we're going to make it rain. So theoretically, it sounded like a great idea. And we were all pretty young. I think we were all 26, 27, 28 years old. So we had no idea what we were doing. So as we were going through the evaluation process of this huge company, I mean, I think we were about $10 million at the time, revenue standpoint wise. Um, and by the way, for those of you who are listening and jumping on this live, feel free to ask questions. I'll, I'll dive into anything that you want as usual, but I figured this would be a, a good starting point. But anyways, um, we didn't know what we were doing. So, so we brought a consultant in to kind of help guide us through what to expect when it came to an acquisition. And I remember there was, you know, he came in and started talking to us about like, look, you're the executives are going to ask you questions, the management level, the director level, uh, mainly the kind of the ownership, right? And, and obviously the executives. And these are the type of questions that they're going to ask. And these are the answers you should give. And I remember listening to some of these answers going, that's, I don't feel real comfortable with that because I don't really believe that. I was super nervous about, I was, I was excited about the acquisition or the potential of the acquisition, but I was also super, super nervous about it because I'm like, you know, I've heard horror stories of, of acquisitions and the company just acquires them and fires everybody and just takes their clients. And so I'm like, you know, I definitely was apprehensive about it. Um, but I was a minority shareholder. I, I owned less than 1% of the company. And so I, you know, I didn't want to cause any waves. So I kind of went along with whatever we were supposed to do. And I remember there's this guy and, and Jay Baylor knows this. I've written to him and I, and he knows about this. So Ron Sargent runs all worldwide sales or ran, I'm sorry, ran all worldwide. It was the CEO of Staples. And then, um, Jay Baitler ran the contract division of Staples, which was a $12 billion part of their organization. I mean, Staples at the time is 20 billion. Uh, um, Jay ran the $12 billion part of it. And that was the part that acquired us, right? So Jay was now interviewing all of the executives at, at my company Thrive. And it was a one-on-one -on -one interview. Well, he, he had somebody else with him. And I remember going into that interview and being like, hey, you know, I'm super excited, whatever. And Jay asked me, so John, what do you think about the acquisition? Like, give me your thoughts on what, you know, what do you think? Good, bad, whatever. And I, and I told the company line, you know, I, I said exactly what I was supposed to say. I was like, oh, we're all excited. This is going to be super great. I can't wait, you know, uh, super, yeah, it's just, and I way overplayed my hand. And for those of you who know me and have been following me, um, I'm a pretty bad liar, because I'm about as direct as and, and transparent as it gets, right? I, I, I suck at lying because I, I, I don't know. I just, I'm not good at it. And my, I wear a lot of times my emotions on my sleeve. And so when I gave him my answer, he saw right through me, right? And even though I didn't know it, I thought I played a pretty good role there. Uh, he saw right through me. And so afterwards, my CEO sat down with him and said, hey, uh, you know, so what'd you think of my management team? And my and Jay was like, "Oh, it was you know great? You got a really good, strong team here." You know, I got one reservation, and Jay and uh, Jim was like, "What are you talking? Like who?" And he's like, "You know, John. John's the one I have a hard time with." I'm like, and and Jim at the time was like, "What are you kidding me? Like, out of everybody who I would have expected you have a hard time with, John was the least because." He's the heart and soul of the company. You know, he bleeds blue. I was the one who stood up every single week and or month and gave the rah-rah speech. We got to keep doing this team, you know, that type of thing. And he's like, out of anybody I thought you'd have a hard, hard time with, I think John would be the last person. And Jay was like, yeah. So my CEO defended me. You know, he was like, no, we're holding on to John. And again, I didn't know any of this until he came and told me. And then, you know, we, so then they acquired us. 
And I always felt like with Jay specifically that if I had just grabbed a beer with him, that, you know, that we would have been able to connect much, much more directly, right? If I would just, hey, take the, you know, all the bullshit away and let's you and I have a conversation. I really felt like we would have been able to hit it off because we were very similar. We were very direct and, and, um, but my CEO kept protecting me, right? He was like, no, John, you know, and not say you can't talk to Jay, but I really recommend you don't because the fear was I would get in front of Jay and I would say whatever was on my mind and I would take the filter off and it wouldn't go well and Jay would fire me and then that would put us into a bad spot. So, you know, so I didn't, right? I kind of played my role. Jim played the, the the person that really transitioned, you know, dealt with the transition and everything else. And I was the one who, you know, was like, all right, let me just go execute. Let me just go execute on, you know, VPS sales stuff. That's what I did. Problem there was the perception of me was already set in a negative emotion from the main guy who bought us, right? I wasn't doing myself any favors to, to change that perception. Because again, I'm not really a corporate guy. I mean, one of the reasons I live, I work for myself is because I really, uh, you know, the corporate culture of, of uh, the politics and all that stuff, I've just never been able to figure that out. I've never been able to figure out how not to take the filter off and play the game, okay? At least in the corporate world. I like working with corporations, but me in a corporation, not so good. So anyways, I did my job. And for the first six months, I kind of put my head down and, and really tried to grind and make this work and whatever. And it, and it wasn't good. The, the, the acquisition uh, did not go well as far as the integration, specifically from the sales and marketing standpoint. Again, on paper, it made all the sense in the world for us to have this acquisition happen because, again, we were the IT, they had a scalable model and all this other stuff. But the one thing I've realized is that in a lot of companies, when they do evaluations of businesses, they look at the finances, they look at all these things, but it's rare that I see them do the evaluation on the sales process and the integration of the sales teams and who they sell to and how they sell. Because if you think about it, right, we sold outsourced IT services to the SMB market. And when you're talking outsourced IT services, at the time, this was before cloud. This was when it was on-premise and servers and all this other stuff. And we were managing infrastructure, right? Service workstations, backup security, antivirus, all that stuff. So if we screwed up, we could potentially put you out of business, right? So this wasn't just like this, okay, yeah, no problem. Let me sign up for IT services and see what happens. So we sold a very, very high-value product to usually the senior executives, CEOs, CFOs within organizations, and, and it was based on value. Staples, I mean, they, their, their sales reps are taught to sell commodities to people who are taught to buy commodities for the most part. I mean, we actually went through a sales process with them before we got acquired and we had a rep come in and do a mock sales call. The rep didn't know that we, that Thrive, our company was, was about to get acquired. So we set it up where, hey, have, um, you know, have your team come in, have your best sales rep come in and sell us as a prospect, right? And like a legitimate prospect. And this guy came in and he was a good sales rep, but he defaulted always to, hey, why don't you give me your, you know, past three months of bills, we'll run them through our systems and, and we'll show you how much we can save you, right? On your pens, paper and all that other stuff. And I kept trying to kind of lay up, give him layups like, hey, what about the, um, you know, the, the uh, furniture. I heard Staples has furniture. We might be moving here in a few in, in within the year. Like, how do you do? Well, I can introduce you to my furniture rep. Okay. Well, what about uh, the the copy print services? We outsource a lot of that stuff. I heard you guys have a copy print. Yeah. Once you sign up, well, I'll introduce you to the rep, that rep. So there was no like 
there's no value play. There was no like consultative sale or anything like that. It was purely based on a commodity because that's who they were taught to sell to. So it's no fault of their own. Everybody has different sales processes and some are better fits for others. But now if you integrate those two sales models, my job as a VP of sales was to now figure out how I can get a sales rep over at Staples who was taught to uh, buy commodities and I'm sorry, taught to sell commodities to people who are taught to buy commodities, trying to get them to level up a little bit and talk, talk bigger picture on it, which is scary for people that don't know technology. Like when I first started selling it, I had, I was scared to death about talking about it because I knew nothing about it. So I was trying to get that rep to then start to make those introductions. So say I found one of those reps, right? Who was like, yeah, I could do this. This is definitely something I can introduce to my clients. Well, now they have to introduce, you know, IT services to their main point of contact, who's the office manager, who's again taught to buy based on price and those type of things. So now you say you have a, a great sales rep who's like, yeah, I see the value here. And they happen to have a good relationship with an with a office manager who understands and can say, yeah, this kind of makes sense. Now that office manager has to bring that to the CFO or CEO and say, hey, by the way, now Staples can manage our IT services. And it was like, I, you know, and if I'm a CEO standing there going, and my, my office manager comes to me and says, yeah, Staples can now manage our IT services without having dialogue with that, with that rep who can maybe articulate the value to me. I'm a CEO. I'm a CFO. I'm like, no way am I going to let Staples touch my computer network right now. Right. There's no, they're not even in that field. So no, go, you know, save 20% of my pens. So that whole thing ended up being a disaster because I kept fighting the value fight of trying to do it. And it just, it just didn't work. And probably a lot because I just didn't have the skill set to do it. I've always said channel sales is probably one of my biggest challenges as a sales rep. It's the one part of sales I have not been able to figure out. You know, I always say getting my own reps to sell my stuff, um, hard enough. Getting somebody else's reps to sell my stuff, shit, 10 times harder. So just that alone, you know, a lot of failures on my part. But what happened was about for about six months, I was super optimistic. This was a new challenge for me. I'm, I'm trying to learn new stuff. And then all of a sudden I started getting ornery because I was getting a lot of backlash of the lack of results. And a lot of them were my fault, but there was some other things that I just could not control. And then I started reacting poorly, right? So I went from being very optimistic to being very pessimistic. And, you know, I, I vividly remember, uh, for those of you who've seen the movie 300, right, um, about six months into the acquisition at Staples, and this is not in the, in the blog post that I wrote, it's about six months into that acquisition, I remember sitting in my house with my 50-inch high-def screen, um, stoned off my ass watching 300, and meant, meant like at three o'clock in the morning, and mentally thinking, I'm Leonidas, and my little team, sales team here at Thrive is, is the 300, and we're fighting the Persians, which is Staples. And I remember, I'm like, I'm going to win despite this, right? And as soon as that came, that phrase, that mentality came out of my mouth, as far as I'm going to win despite them, I should have just, I should have walked in and, and put in my resignation that day. Because we were, we were now staples. I couldn't let that go. And I think that's a big learning lesson for a lot of people who get acquired. You are no longer that company. No matter how many times the acquiring company tells you, oh, we just bought you for you and we're just going to let you do your thing because that's why we acquired you. You're no longer just that thing. You are now part of a much bigger entity and you will eventually get consumed into the mothership or else it's just not going to work. There has to be the integration, right? And so by me fighting it, again, I should have just at that point said, I'm done. But I was super stubborn. 
and I kept going at it. And even though I knew it was wrong, I just kept going and fighting and fighting and fighting. Right. So with that, it got worse. Right. And uh, yeah, I'll answer some of these questions that are coming up, but with that, it just kept getting worse. And eventually Jay uh, fired me. Now, Jim came, my, my CEO came in. I was, I vividly remember it was the day before Thanksgiving and he sat me down he goes, John, um, Staples wants to move in a different direction. And I was like, what? It, and I will tell you, it hit me like an absolute ton of bricks because I never really even considered anything else. I was so all in on Thrive that I never looked at a plan B. I never considered getting fired. I mean, again, I was one of the original people at the company. You know, I bled blue. And so he was like, and it, you know, they effectively, he was saying they were going to offer me another position, which was a, a, a demotion and they were going to hire somebody above me. And by the way, for those of you out there listening to this, if you ever see within your organization, if there's ever a VP of anything, specifically in my case, a VP of sales and that gets the company to a certain level, and then they hire an SVP of sales, <laughs> that is the corporate nice way of firing the VP of sales without firing the VP of sales. I see it all the time. It's like, oh, you know, I, I, I did the grind work to get us to this level. And they're like, you know what, John, why don't you do this? And we'll hire somebody who's kind of been there, done that as the SVP of sales. That's, they should just say, John, you're fired. Could you help with the transition? So that's what they did. And he said, you know what, John, they're, they're not looking to get you out immediately. And I need you to stay on board so we can transition this because I don't want there to be just too, too much disruption within the business. And so I, I, he's like, look, you, you know, February. So this is November. He's like, your last day is going to be end of February if you're okay with that. And then you get some severance after that. And I remember almost losing it right there. And I left um, I just left the office. I couldn't focus obvious because this is the first time in my life I had been purely fired, just fired from a job. And I remember driving home and I had to pull over in the parking lot and I, I just lost it. I ended up crying. You know, I, I was like, I can't believe it. I actually called my buddy Chris and was like, dude, this is what just happened. You know, what the fuck, all this other shit. Right. And I was devastated. And I went home and I remember, you know, tell my wife, not, not the girlfriend at the time, not wife. And I was just like, you know, what the hell? And it, and, it, and it probably took me about really about three or four days to really come to grips with it. Again, thank, thankfully it was actually over, well, I guess, thankfully or not, uh, the people around me probably didn't thank it, but, but over Thanksgiving break, it gave me four or five days to really digest it and, and figure it out. And I remember kind of waking up one day and being like, you know what? Yeah. I, I'm almost glad that they pulled the trigger for me because I don't think I ever would have done it. I would have, I would have buried this. I would have gone until it was, it was done. Um, and I never really, you know, even though I knew it was wrong. And so, you know, fast forward, we transition, I leave, you know, February comes and goes. And then afterwards what I did, and this is a, another big learning lesson. This was where the biggest learning lesson came in my entire career. He go, um, I reached out to Jay Baitler, the guy who fired me. And I said, Jay, you know, would you be open for my own personal and professional development? Would you be, would you be open to just an, me taking an hour of your time and just ask you some questions about what happened so I can understand, so I can just learn from this and get better? And what's that it's called, by the way, as it relates to training? It's called the, uh, the walk, I'm sorry, not the walkaway close, the, uh, the doorknob close, or some people call it the Columbo close, which is after you lose a deal. You, you know, that's the hard part though. So the psychology around this is when somebody says, sorry, John, 
we we're going in a different direction or we've, we've gone with your competitor. That was the hard part, right? When they told you that, that was the anxiety part of them saying, sorry, we're not going with you. And so now their guards down a little, a little bit. And then when you come at them and you say, Hey, what's the real reason we lost, you know, Hey, for my own personal professional event, what's the real reason? Cause usually they'll tell you, Oh, you were too expensive. Some surface level, whatever, just to make, let, make you go away. And then you say, well, you know, what was the real reason? And that's a lot of times where they'll tell you, well, you know what, John, we had previous experience with them or, you know, they did this or whatever. My CEO just loved whatever. And it's like, oh, okay. Now the, the sleazy sales rep approach to that closing technique, if you will, is, is when they tell you that, whatever, whatever the real reason is, then you spin it back on them and you're like, oh, no, we can do that or whatever. You try to resell it. That's the dirtbag sales rep way of, of dealing with it. I use the, the doorknob close as really genuinely to understand what happened. So even to this day, if I lose a deal, if it's a deal that I really thought I won, because now 22 years of sales experience, I got a pretty good threshold of where I think, you know, where I think I am with a situation and whether I'm going to win it or not. And so if I lose one that I thought I was going to win, I'll reach out to that client and say, hey, for my own personal professional development, could I just get 10 minutes of time just to understand what really happened here? And I'd say probably one out of 10 clients says yes, but man, the, the value that I get out of that one conversation is worth more than the commission would have been off that deal because I get deep insights and that can make it so that I can sell better moving forward, right? So that's what I did with Jay. And when I tell you he was more than enthusiastic, he was, he said, absolutely, first of all. And then second of all, when I showed up to his office, he was like, John Barrows, get in here. And I'm like... I was a little bit worried. And he was like, you know what, before you even get started here, one of the things I wanted to tell you was, you know, the fact that you reached out to me and asked for this feedback tells me more than more about you than I knew in the year of working together with you. He's like, one of my favorite things to do is mentor young leaders and all this other stuff. So come in here, you have an hour of my time. You can ask me whatever question that you want. And I treated it just like a meeting with a client. So I prepped for it. I had my questions and all this other stuff. And I said, Jay, I got 10 questions for you. You can be as open and candid as you want, or you don't have to answer them if you don't want to, but I'd really appreciate it. He said, I will answer any question that you want. And that was by far and away, by the way, the highest value. it was the best hour of business I've ever spent. It was my, I got an MBA in a box in that one hour. And one of the things that really came out of it, which again was the biggest learning lesson here was I said, Jay, one of my questions was, would you have been open to this conversation when I worked for you? And he's like, yeah, well, of course I would have. Why, why did, why do you think I wouldn't have been? And I was like, well, cause I was kind of told that not to really reach out to you because you know, I would have screwed things up and whatever. And he looked at me and he said, John, what's the risk? And I was like, well, the risk is I get fired, man. He goes, well, let me paint two scenarios for you. He goes, say you went over Jim's head. You had this conversation with me and I ripped you to shreds. I, I told you, you suck. You know, I can't believe you did this. And I ratted you out to Jim and all that other stuff. He goes, would you have wanted to work for me after that? I'm like, well, no, absolutely not. And he goes, okay, well, so then do you think you probably would have made a choice a little bit sooner? And, um, you would have gotten out of this on your terms instead of mine. I'm like, yeah, probably. And he's like, okay, now on the other hand, say you came over and you went over Jim's head, you, you and I had this conversation and it went really well. He's like, do you think the last year of your life would have been a little bit easier and would have been, been a little bit more enjoyable and productive? I'm like, well, yeah, definitely. If we had a better relationship, he's like, okay, then I'm going to ask you again, what's the risk? And in that moment, that 
changed my whole mentality on how I view things. And, and this is the learning lesson. I used to have a, you know, I got my 12 guidelines to success. And one of them used to be always have a plan B, right? And, and I disagree with that now, because if you have a plan B, I think that actually detracts from your plan A, right? Because now if you're like, ah, well, if I didn't do that, then okay, at least I have this. I don't think that's the case. I, I don't think you should do that because I think you should be all in on your plan A. But what I shifted it to is make sure you're okay with worst case scenario. So this is my tip for everybody after this hour, you know, half hour here of talking is, is now the way I look at decisions, any decision I make, the I, I ask myself, what's the worst case scenario here, i.e. what's the risk? And if I'm okay with the worst case scenario, I go ahead and I do it. So for instance, if say I'm dealing with some, like my main point of contact in a deal and I have to go over their head because they're not the decision maker, right? And I know the VP of sales is. And I've tried a couple of times to work with that person. And I know that, you know, this, my training's the right solution. It's going to make a big difference for them and all that other stuff. And I, but they're just, they're, they're either too chicken or they won't do it or they're blocking me. And I know I have to get up here. I ask myself, what's the risk? If I go up there for the right reasons with a right, with a good message, the risk is I piss off the person. I go over their head and I lose the deal. As long as I'm okay with that, I go ahead and I go and I do that. Okay. Um, and you can apply this to almost anything. You know what I mean? So that's the, really the way I've, I've now lived my life is I ask myself, what's the risk? So just to summarize here, you know, the downside of an acquisition, you can read that post because acquisitions aren't always good. Most of them are bad actually for the acquired company. The acquiring company usually is in pretty good shape. The acquired company, <laughs> uh, keep an eye out to, to, for some pitfalls, okay? Um, and the other thing that I would just say is, is be open and honest with everybody, especially yourself. When you're not feeling comfortable with something, talk to people about it, share your, you know, share a constructive feedback on where you are and be transparent about it and, and be justified with your answers. But, you know, don't hide it because if, if you hide it to get to a certain point, you're eventually going to have to deal with it otherwise. And that's probably going to end up biting you in the ass and it's going to end up being worse than if you address it up in the front. And at the end of the day, always ask for feedback um, because you can, we can always get better. And I learn way more from my losses than I do from my, from my wins. And by the way, Jay Baitler, who's the guy who fired me uh, fast forward a few years, I had an opportunity to work for Jack Welsh, G E Jack Welsh, Jack Welsh. So Jack Welsh and Susie Welsh, they started an online MBA program called uh, JWMI Jack Welsh management Institute. By the way, if you're interested in an online MBA, I would highly recommend taking a look at that one but they were looking for a VP of sales to, to help them get their online MBA program off the ground. And some recruiter found me who I was, who I had done a favor for a long time ago. And he was like, John, here's an opportunity. And I got all the end uh, of that interview. I interviewed with Jack directly. I interviewed with Susie directly and they wanted references. You know what reference I gave them? Jay, the guy who fired me. And you know what Jay did when Jack Welsh called Jay Baitler, he called him up. And Jay said, if you don't hire John, you're an idiot. He's like, John Barrows is one of the best, most you know, promising young leaders I've come across in a long time. And it was because of that meeting. So I leave you with, what's the risk? Ask yourself that question. All right. Every time you make a decision, ask really what's the risk. And if you are okay with worst case, worst case scenario, make that decision all day, every day. 
All right. Um, hit a couple of questions here. Uh, what's the culture change as you went from Thrive to Thrive being acquired? Staples, the culture change was massive, man. I couldn't. We went from this tiny little company that could make decisions in no time at all, right? I mean, this is the way we worked from a marketing standpoint. Was I had this one kid, Mike Platts, who was you know pretty good at Photoshop, and we'd get in and we'd get all stoned and come up with like a marketing campaign, and he would then Photoshop it and would literally be out the door by the next you know the next day. Whereas at Staples, all of a sudden, 15 people were involved in it. It took six months to get a campaign out there. And it was just, it was like we slammed into this brick wall. And there was also our mentality of grinder, self-funded, go get it. Everyone on my team worked their asses off. When you get to a huge corporation, there's people that just do their jobs. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there are people that literally just show up at, at 9 o'clock and go home at 5 o'clock. And that was as far away from our mentality as we could get. And so me trying to get those kids to believe and do all this other stuff, you know, forget it. Um, so there was a lot of cultural things. And again, selling a commodity versus selling value. There was culture change there. Um, I, I was the VP of sales and any one of my reps could come and talk to me. Whereas at Staples, there's 45 layers of people to go through before you can get to, you know, somebody with power. And that's where, you know, Jay, every time I had a conversation with Jay, we were spot on or, you know, in, in his leadership, like we were pretty on point, but then as it filtered down all the way to the ground floor, I realized that unless Thrive was a was something literally that they were being measured on. My biggest recommendation on, on acquisitions is make sure that you get into the comp plan. Let's put it that way. Because I actually paid sales reps more to introduce me, just introduce me, literally pick up the phone and say, would you take a call from our new partner, Thrive Networks, blah, blah, blah. And if I that would then run that entire sales cycle and close that deal, the sales rep got paid more from me than they did if they had closed that deal on their own from a staple standpoint, like selling them office supplies. But because the check came from Thrive and not Staples, and because it wasn't something their manager was sitting there saying, where are you on your Thrive quota? And if you don't hit your Thrive quota, you're going to get dinged. Reps are like, yeah, whatever. Like, <laughs> what am I actually going to be measured on? That's what I'm going to sell. Everybody knows that, right? So that was a huge part of it. Um, another question here was, what was the most baller thing you did after being acquired? Tell the story about the Celtics opener party. Oh, that was baller. Yeah, so in the minute left... Uh, my one of my best negotiations ever. We had a barter deal with um, with the Celtics. They were a client of Thrive, and this was when the Celtics sucked. I mean, sucked so hard. I, we had four seats that were like awesome seats. That was the barter, and and uh, it was brutal because they, um, you know, I, I couldn't even give these seats away. Right, I, I literally couldn't even drive people and pay for them to, you know, all their stuff. And they were like, "Yeah, no, I'm all set." So then one year I came to the guy who I was negotiating with like, dude, these seats, are just, it's just not working for us. So he was like, all right, well, we'll give you the whole upper mezzanine area where it's like 200 tickets where you can throw a party for the opening day next year. And I'm like, I guess. And this was right around the time we got acquired. I'm like, okay. So I shook his hand and the next day the Celtics signed Ray Allen. And then right after that, they said, they signed, uh, um, KG, who was my favorite basketball, one of my favorite basketball players of all time. And the Celtics went from being the worst in the league to the best. And I had tickets for home opener, 200 seats of the mezzanine. And it was insane. So, uh, that actually went pretty well. So anyways, uh, appreciate you guys listening in today. I'm going to bounce out. I got a call here at one o'clock. So, um, as always, please keep asking questions. Uh, for those of this, those you don't know, um, you know, join us on Friday afternoons. If you go to the Facebook group, the Jay Barrows Facebook group, 
think it's just Facebook slash Jay Barrows. And then you join the Make It Happen group. Actually, I'm sorry, the Facebook page. And then you join the Make It Happen group. There's a ton of interaction on that. People ask great questions. And a lot of people who have been a, um, through my training and stuff like that are in there and they're answering questions and so are me and Morgan. And then Friday afternoons from four to five, we do a Facebook live session like this and answer those questions. And also it's kind of office hours. So you can ask any question that you want. So please join us on Friday afternoons because we're having some fun with it and, um, and hopefully adding some value here. So other than that, you can hit me up on any of the social channels as usual and uh, make it a great week this week. All right, everybody, we're uh, coming towards the end of the month here. Hopefully you all have a, a good month set up and, and your summer's uh, looking pretty solid as well. But uh, anything I can do to help make that month even better, give me a buzz. All right, make it happen, everybody. Thank you very much.